this week is a very important week, isn't it? On Tuesday, Americans across our country will go to the polls to elect the president. And let me just encourage you for a moment, because I think as, as Christians, part of who we want to be is really good citizens. And as good citizens, I would say to you, it's a great responsibility that you've been given to vote. And so I would encourage you to vote. I would encourage you to pray for our country. In fact, I'd like to do that right now if you'd bow with me. Lord, thank you so much for all the ways you've blessed us. God, one of the great blessings that we don't want to take for granted is to live in this free and prosperous country that we live in. And Lord, we know this Tuesday we have a very important election. And so, God, we ask that you would guide the people, Father. We ask, Father, for you to select the leaders. And we ask, Father, for your will to be done. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me say this. In view of the high stakes of this election... In view of the amount of people that are hurting and that are struggling and are trying to make it, in view of the mess that we find in the world today, I feel that I need to endorse someone as the best hope of America. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Can you give a hand on that? Some of you are about to get extremely excited or extremely mad, all right? So thanks for bearing with me. You know, something that really makes me cringe is when I hear a political candidate say that America is the hope of the world. Now, I love America. I I love what's going on right now. I watch every debate. I take it all in. I'm excited about voting on Tuesday. But I do not have the misconception that America is the hope of the world. It is not. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And even as we think about this election, I know elections have consequences. And that's why we need to be prepared as Christians to vote. But let's not be foolish enough to think that who's in the White House will determine everything about our lives and the lives of our people. My friends, Jesus is the only one with the real power to change things. And so I want to invite you to a passage where Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has been doing some powerful works Nobody can deny how powerful he is. Nobody. Only thing they can do is try to charge him with not doing it from God. And so before the passage we study in verse 34, Matthew 9, verse 34, they've said, Jesus, you do all these awesome things by the power of the devil, by demons. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't even stop. He just keeps on moving. He just keeps on keeping on. And listen to what he says or what the Bible says about him. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. My friends, Jesus was the one who came with hope and with good news. Look at the next verse, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he was had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees the people. He sees what a mess the world's in. I think he sees it today. I I like this phrase. Let us highlight harassed and helpless. That's how people are today. They're harassed and they're helpless. One translation puts it a little bit different than harassed and helpless. It puts they are confused and aimless. I think that's pretty accurate. I think today most people are confused and aimless. 
They know something's wrong. They're busy trying to make things better, but they have no clear picture of what it takes because they are, as Jesus said, like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know who to follow and where to go. And it's a mess. And Jesus says, that's the kind of world that we live in. I was reading one commentary. It said the reason that people are so harassed and helpless was because even in Jesus' day, they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know what was right and wrong. They didn't know what to do. And so they're going in all kinds of directions. I think I would add to that, not only did they not know the Bible, they did not know the author of the Bible, the God of the Bible. Guys, if we're going to not be confused and aimless, what we've got to do is have a clear path of truth, which is only found through Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and through his word. And so it's very, very important. Now, here's what I want you to notice, though. Notice Jesus' reaction to the mess of this world. Jesus' reaction was compassion. Now, sometimes, guys, it scares me with Christian people, at least the people displayed on the media, That when we find out how messed up our country is, how messed up the world is, our reaction is not compassion. Our reaction too often is anger. We just appear angry. Because that's not Jesus' reaction. He's not angry at these messed up people. He's not angry at these immoral people. What he is, he's compassionate. He knows they're aimless. He knows they're without a shepherd. And so his heart goes out to them. And so Jesus then gives us a challenge of how we become a part of making things right. Here's the key verses in our study this morning. Verses 37 and 38 here in Matthew 9. Then he said to his disciples, that's us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay, you've got the the simplest outline you've ever had to fill out this morning, all right? You want some brownie points today? Fill in your outline. You can do this. There are only nine words, but these could be life-changing words. Fill this in. First words Jesus says, harvest is plentiful. Jesus said, yes, people are harassed and helpless. They're confused. Yes, the world's a messed up place, but if we would just raise our vision, we would see that the harvest is plentiful. There are people that are hungry for God. John chapter 4, when Jesus begins to talk to this Samaritan woman who's been through five marriages and divorces and now living with the man, and his disciples are so uncomfortable that he would even talk to her. Jesus says to them, guys, come on, lift your eyes up, look at the fields. It's people like this woman who are so messed up who are hungry for God. Listen, when Jesus came to this earth, people didn't like, at least the religious people didn't like, the people he was reaching out to. You're reaching out to people, you know, that got bad backgrounds and done bad things. And Jesus said to them, let me tell you what I've done. I've come for people that are sick because it's sick people who know they need a doctor. So guys, our, our reaction to this harvest is compassion. And our reaction is to get on page with Jesus to reach the very people Jesus would reach if he were here. And that's why as the church, our vision statement is that we want to be a place where a community that shows the love of Jesus to people struggling with life issues. That's a different way of saying what Jesus said. 
I've come for people that are sick and know they're sick. I've not come for the folks who think they've got it all together because they won't listen to me. Despite the fact they really don't have it together, they're not open. What I've come is for people that are open. So Jesus' strategy was to to reach out to people that were wounded and hurting and knew they needed help. And here's the good news today. That's our strategy as a church. Our strategy is to reach out to people that are experiencing life struggles. The truth is that's everybody. The other truth is everybody doesn't recognize it. And it's those people that recognize it that we're able to reach. And here's the good news. As a church, we have some proven strategies in light of what Jesus said that are reaching people. What do you do? You start with people's felt needs. You start where people are hurting. Jesus started, if somebody's hungry, the first thing he did is not preach, he fed them. And we as a church have learned that we need to reach out to people that are hurting and know they're hurting. That's why our addiction recovery ministry is so effective in reaching people. That's why the support groups we have about depression and same-sex attraction and divorce are helping many people and leading them to Christ because they have a need there. That's why one of the great ministries in this church that's just emerged over the last couple of years is our orphan care ministry that's saying, let's go to the neediest people of all on the earth and let's make a difference through adoption and through child care and through foster care. And our single mothers group has become a powerful tool because there's so many mothers out there that are hurting and need help and they know they need help. And that's an open door for the gospel. And I think we found out, especially the last seven weeks, that one of the great open doors for us is through our family ministry. It is that is we try to help people who have hurting families. As we went through that seven weeks of our marriage series, one thing that was revealed is that a lot of people, even in this building, are struggling in their marriages. That's okay to know that, as long as you'll do something about it. And my belief is if we become the church that people know if you're having a struggle with your marriage, you go to Landmark and they'll help you. We'll do better than just help them in their marriage. We'll help them come to know Jesus. Amen? And that's why, guys, some of the most important ministries in this church are things that have to do with families and things that have to do with children and things that have to do with young people. Because I'm telling you, even if I don't like the preacher, and I might even think the worship's a little different than what I'm used to, if you help my children and you help my family, I'll, I'll sign up. I'll give you a shot. And so we got some proven strategies here that are working. And guys, I love it when people come. We've had so many new members over the last year who've come here. Many, they've become new Christians because they go, you know what? You're helping my children. You know what? This is the first time my children have actually been reading and learning the Bible. And they, they wake us up to go to Sunday school. How's that works? And guys, one of the great proven strategies in this church is absolute transparency. There are a lot of churches that have a lot of unique gifts. A lot of churches have gifts that we don't have. But if there is a unique gift in this church that draws people to this church, is that they experience a level of honesty, transparency, openness, realness that they don't experience at the average church. I'm not saying that to pat us on the back because we've got plenty of weaknesses I can mention. might mention a few in a moment. But I'm saying that to say God has created a spirit where you can come here and almost every Sunday you're going to hear somebody struggling with something. 
It's like the lady I remember just a few years ago sitting back in that corner on friend day. hadn't been to church in 20 years. whose life was all messed up. Then I called her that week and she'd heard somebody up here in the front row confessing their struggle with pornography. And she said, I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. First, I thought everybody's going to be laughing. Everybody's going to be making fun. And then I saw tears in people's eyes. And then I said to myself, I might even could make it in this church. My friends, that's a proven strategy to reach people. I think of a man recently who was baptized, who life has humbled. He's been through divorce. He's been through cancer. He had been through the loss of a job. And he came here and he found life. And he found a place where you could be honest about those struggles. And just a couple of weeks ago, he was baptized into Christ. I think of the young lady that was baptized Thursday afternoon, Catherine Taylor. What a wonderful girl. But she will tell you, after some problems in her family growing up, for the last 10 years at least, she's been running from God. Just running as far away from God as she could. But she had a friend named Luke Sellers who wouldn't stop inviting her to church. And she came. And she was shocked at what she found. And she went to a life group and she found even more. She found not only people would listen to her problems, but they would call and check on her to see how she's doing. And so by Thursday, she's ready to surrender her life to Jesus Christ. My friends, when we develop and continue a spirit of openness and honesty where people can come and not be religiously uptight, you know, and feel like I got to pretend to have it together, I'm telling you, those kind of people are open and it's proven strategy. And what does it do? It opens up doors for us to tell people the gospel. You have that chance one-on-one. So many of you are so effective at it. I get that chance in every Landmark 101 class. Every class, well, I love teaching that class, is I get a chance to tell the good news of Jesus. In almost every session, there are people who become Christians because you invited them, they saw something different, they went upstairs to that class, they experienced something, they heard the gospel two, two times ago. As soon as the class was over, a couple said, could we go straight down to the baptistry right now and be baptized? This past Sunday, there are two people being baptized out of that class. It happens every time. It's a strategy that works because Jesus is right. The harvest is plentiful. Guys, the issue is not that there are not people out there who want and need and are hungering for the gospel. And God's assigned us, the church, to be the people to get the gospel to them. Ephesians 3, verse 10, it's the church that reveals the manifold wisdom of God. Listen to me. There is no other organization on this earth called to share the gospel like the church. There's a lot of great organizations out there, a lot of great Christian organizations. I'm sure almost every one of us is involved in supporting one of them. But let me tell you, there is no organization that compares the church. And I'm telling you, if our resources and our time are going to another organization more than they're going to the one organization Jesus chose to spread his gospel, we are making a mistake. Because the harvest is plentiful. Now, here's your next three words. Next three words. The harvest is plentiful and Jesus says, the workers are few. I love the story of Daniel Webster, the great American politician and orator. One day he left home. He left a thing, uh, a list of, of assignments to his two boys, Daniel and Ezekiel. A lot of work for them to do while he was gone. 
He came home late in the afternoon and none of the work was done. It was all undone. And he looked at Ezekiel. He said, son, what have you been doing? And Ezekiel was honest enough to say, dad, I've done nothing. And then he looked at Daniel and said, Daniel, what have you been doing? And Daniel said, I've been helping Ezekiel. Well, sometimes I think that's about the way Jesus feels. He looks out here and he sees the harvest is plentiful, but he sees the workers are few. Now, listen to me. Jesus did not say there were no workers. He didn't say there weren't not workers. He said there were too few workers. And let me say this. We got great workers in this church, incredible people who behind the scenes just do it week in and week out. I think about Joe Miller and the way Joe Miller's handled the grass cutting around here for years with nobody having to recognize him. I think about Tim and Rebecca MacArthur and the incredible job they do with our senior saints. I think of Ed and Barbara Bice, who with no support lead probably the most effective ministry in this church to reach people, and that's our recovery ministry. I think of people like Zane Kirkland and his wife that are involved in our teen ministry. People like Tony Adcock who comes up here from, from um, Troy to lead our same-sex addiction ministry to help people get past that. I think of people like Gene Messick who I saw driving in the parking lot, you know, early this morning to be here to run the, the machines up there. I think of own and own. I look down here and I see Janice Blevins. I think of her and Diane Gant who've led a life group that's helped so many women for over 15 years. And I could go on and on and on. And listen to me. Jesus is not saying there are no workers. But what he is saying is the workers are too few. Now think about those two statements. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Would you live with me just for a moment in that tension? The harvest is plentiful. There are people who want to know God. But the workers are few. The picture is there are fruit, there's fruit on the tree. There are vegetables on the vine. And yet there's not enough people to go out and pick the fruit. And so the fruit dies on the vine and rots on the ground. That's the picture. Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Would you live in that moment with me just for a second? I've never slowed down enough in this passage to live in this moment till this week. I always fly to the next part. But I think we fly away too quickly. I think we need to camp out here just for a moment. My friends, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You willing to live with that? Are we we, we willing to let that stay? Let's do what that means in this church. There are people who are lonely who need friendships to grow spiritually, but there's not enough committed small group leaders. There are people who bring their children who want to learn the truth, but there's not enough workers back there, so it ends up being babysitters. There, There are people in the inner city that are crumbling and families that need to be helped and children, and yet do we have enough compassionate 21 workers There are people that are searching for God and they come to this church hoping they might find something, but a greeter doesn't show up and no one speaks to them. 
There are people who in prison who are more open to the gospel than ever be in their life because they've been broken. Do we have enough ministers for our prison ministry? There, there are people who come, you know, as single mothers, you know, and they got all these children and they don't have time to do anything but just sort of make it from day to day. But Jesus would say, there's not enough men in the church to mentor some of those children. The workers are few. There are people that lost who really want God, but there's not enough people to tell them the gospel. Let me ask you, are, are, are we... Are we willing to live there? Because we need to weep. The harvest is plentiful. No doubt. Could anyone argue that the workers are few? Are we willing to live there? Did you hear what Jesus said? The harvest is plentiful. There are lots of people who know they're messed up and know they need God. But we got a problem. The workers are few. There are some workers. There's some incredible workers. But there's not enough workers to pick the harvest. There's not enough workers to reach all these people. Can I ask you this, guys? Are we going to stay there? We need to stay there for a moment. We need to feel the tension of that moment. We need to feel exactly what Jesus is saying. And we need our heart to be broken. Because we have all gotten too busy and too wrapped up in too many things to understand the greatest calling you have in your life and the greatest calling I have in my life is to be a part of the harvest. Is your heart broken? Can we just read through this like it's just another little sweet saying of Jesus? Oh, yeah, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Or do we need to stop and shed some tears? So, what do we do? What's the solution? Three more words. Ask for workers. Not attenders. He didn't ask us to ask for attenders. He didn't even ask us to ask for members. He didn't even ask us to ask for signer uppers. Today's the easy part, guys. You can check some boxes. I hope you will. You can sign up. That's awesome. The, 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 the challenging part is not to sign up. The challenging part is actually to show up and work. This, this, this lady came through 101 last week, and I was mentioning that we had a problem with that in this church, you know. And oftentimes, some people didn't show up who said they'd work. Said, you could even call them on Saturday night. They don't show up to do the nursery on Sunday morning. And she said, you know, that makes some sense to me. She said, I started working the nursery on Wednesday night, and you think I was winning an Academy Award? When I actually showed up, they hugged me. When I came back for the second and third week, you know, they were just like, thought I was the most. She said, now I understand. Because he didn't ask 
for tenders. He didn't ask for members. He didn't ask for signer-uppers. Jesus asked for workers. And here's the great privilege we have. Jesus says, or the Apostle Paul says, we become workers together with God. That we can be a part of a team with God that works for and with him. So this morning, guys, I want to listen to what Jesus said. It's a great answer. The answer to our problem is to ask for workers. You know, in the past, we've begged, we've pleaded. As one of my friends said to me the other day, buddy, when's the next rant you're going to have? I mean, we've ranted. And all the while, Jesus had the most simple solution. Why don't you ask for workers? I love the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was out preaching. He had a friend that loved him, believed in what he was doing. And so the friend said to Martin Luther, said, here's what I'll do. You go out and preach, and I'm just going to stay back in my home, and I'm going to devote myself to prayer. And so Martin Luther preached, and his friend prayed. And when things got tense, and Martin Luther's having a tough time, he said to his friend, I'm having a tough time. The friend says, here's what I'll do. I'll pray more intensely. But then one night, the friend had a dream. He had this dream, and the dream covered the entire world. And the world was an incredible harvest field. And he looked closely across the field, and there was one lone soul out there trying to reap the harvest. It was his buddy, Martin Luther. And the man's heart was broken, and he got off his knees, and he went to find Martin Luther. He said, Martin Luther, I'm glad to pray for you, but I need to do more than just pray. I need to join you in the harvest. And here's what I believe, friends. I believe that if we will pray about this, that we will be led to be a part of the harvest. I think it's probably impossible for you to pray for lost souls to be saved, for lonely people to be befriended, for hurting people to be healed. I think it's almost impossible for you to pray about that without joining as a part of the solution. In fact, the context of our verses here, Matthew chapter 9, after Jesus says... Ask for workers. The next verse, chapter 10. You know there's no chapter divisions in the real Bible, right? The next verse, he calls the apostles. He says, dudes, pray for workers. The next verse, God reveals the workers. And what I'm saying to you and I this morning is that if we will pray for workers, we're going to be the very people God calls to work. It's going to be you. It's going to be me. You know what we need in this church? We need some workers. More work. We got some great ones. I look back there and I I see Tracy Bailey. And Tracy will get up here probably some point and she'll run back there and she'll lead some songs with the kids. You know, I think about her husband, Daryl, who works security. I I can look across here and I could point out worker after worker. Guys, I'm not trying to, we got some great workers, but I'm telling you, the harvest is so plentiful. We need everyone. So what we're saying on Faith Work Sunday here is for some of you, you need to just step up and start working. Some of you need to do more. There's probably actually some people in this room who need to do less. You, you spread yourself so thin, you know, that you're not being effective. I'm saying Everybody needs to be a part of the harvest. We need workers. There's a word that keeps coming to my mind for the last three or four weeks. You ever ever heard people talk about people that were pillars of the church? Pillars. I don't hear that term much anymore. I'm asking you, who are going to be the pillars of this church? I can name those in the past. 
I can name families that have just been absolute pillars for decades in this church. I think about the Weldons and the Pages and the Tarodes, and I could go on and name quite a few. And for years and years and years, you've been the pillars that has allowed God to build this church because you've sacrificed your time. You've been willing to be that elder that had that time. And let me, let me tell you, today we have a hard time finding people that will give the time. That's the, that's the, the truth. Can I ask you, could you become a pillar in this church? Not just a worker, but a pillar. Somebody that a great church could be built on. I asked a good friend of mine the other day because something was going on and he, he punted it real quickly. And I, I said to him, because I was close enough to him, I said, man, I said, it, would there ever be a moment in your life where someone asked you to do something where you would say, no, I can't do that. I already have a commitment at church. I don't think many people say that anymore. I think we say, well, you know what? This looks fun. I'll uh, punt that commitment. And that's what I'm asking for today. What Jesus is asking for is where he's asking for workers, for pillars, for people to build on. And the way we get there, guys, is not by you getting guilty right now. I'm not trying to make you get guilty. What I want you to do is get excited. What I want you to see is the harvest is plentiful, guys. There are people out there who are hungry for God. We know it as a church. We see it happen every week. The sad part where you got to be sad for a moment, not guilty, but sad, is that the workers are few. What is the solution? The solution is so simple. Ask for workers. Would you do that? I want to start a prayer. And we're going to ask for workers. And I'm going to have a point of the prayer which is silent. Or I'd like you to ask for workers. I mean, just ask. I mean, you know, what Jesus said here is absolutely true. Nine words. Harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. Ask for workers. It's true. We know the solution. Are you willing to pray the prayer? Let's bow together in silence and pray. And then um, I'll close it out. Oh, Father, today we just want to be obedient to you. And your son Jesus told us that what we're supposed to do in view of the harvest being plentiful and the workers being few is to ask for workers, God. And so that's what we've been praying these last few moments. That's why I continue to pray, Father. Lord, I've never stopped till this week and just lived in the tension of those first two statements. I don't think I've ever wept about it until this week. I don't know that I've ever put myself in Jesus' position to to know the truth that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few and some of the harvest is going to die on the vine rot on the ground. And so God, we come today in obedience to your son Jesus 
And we ask you to bring forth workers for the harvest, God. We're not talking about more attenders. We're not seeking right now more members, God. We got a lot of those. God, what we are seeking today, what you want today, what you're asking for, what we're asking you for is more workers. People that aren't willing to live in the sadness of the tension that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. For those of us who are not willing to see our friends and our family and our community go to hell while we play. Oh, God of the harvest, bring forth workers, Lord. God, do we sign up to do all these things today, Lord? Help us to see beyond the check mark, beyond the ministry, and see it a part of a strategy to reach this city for Jesus Christ, to be a part of a church that cares for hurting people, to be a part of a church where you don't have to cover up, play church, fake it, where you can be honest and you can get help and you can help somebody, Lord. We know the harvest is plentiful, God. We ask you to bring forth workers. God, will you start with me? Would you start with us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to, just keep on bringing those down. Um, they'll, they'll be here to receive this the next few moments. I love the passage that Mark um, shared with us from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says that we are created to be God's masterpiece, God's handiwork. The beautiful thing is that as we come together as the body of Christ and as we work together, we become more than who we are individually. We become truly a masterpiece of art, of art for Jesus Christ. We actually become the body of Christ. And so as you turn these in, I want you to see more than just what you individually do. I want us to see what we do together. Because in my estimation, what's happening here this morning is more important than actually what will happen on Tuesday when we vote. Because today we are committing ourselves to be a part of not a short-term solution. Because who cares if the economy goes well and people don't know God? We're committing ourselves today to be a part of a long-term solution to the ills and problems of the world and for all of eternity. And so today you've been invited to be a part of God's masterpiece, God's work. Today maybe just handing a sheet in today is not enough. There may be people here today that you need to do more than just hand a sheet of paper here. There may be some of you, you're ready to become a Christian. You're ready to be a part of God's workers. Or maybe there's someone here that you've been a part of this church for a long time and you've been a nice attender, but you really haven't been a worker. Or maybe even hear from God, a call for you to become a pillar in what God is doing in this church. And so you need to do more than just hand your sheet in. Possibly today you need to come to this front row and recommit your heart to following God, because truly, it's all about where our heart is. I tell you again, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Thank God we have asked for workers. If you need to come, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?